Welcome to Season 2 of Giving with Impact, an original podcast series from Stanford Social Innovation Review, developed with the support of Schwab Charitable. I'm your host, Michael Gordon-Voss, publisher of SSIR. In this series, we hope to create a collaborative space for leading voices from across the philanthropic ecosystem to engage in both aspirational and practical conversations around relevant topics at the heart of achieving more effective philanthropy. The philanthropic sector has weathered many challenges, but nothing matches the scope and speed of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Within a short period of time, a health crisis in China turned into a global pandemic and economic shutdown. While some parts of the world are seeing a leveling off of infections and deaths, others are still experiencing an increase in the number of new cases and hospitalizations. Even as the medical and public health aspects of the pandemic become more manageable, the economic impact will continue for some time, with tens of millions of people having already lost their jobs and many businesses closing. As with other crises, the philanthropic sector is working to rise to these challenges and to do so as effectively and efficiently as possible. To help us better understand how donors can rise to the challenge, we're joined today by two individuals whose organizations have unique understanding of the current crisis and donors' response. Patricia McElreevy joined the Center for Disaster Philanthropy as its president and CEO at a very unique moment in time, March of this year while we were only starting to wrap our heads around the extreme scope of this pandemic. Prior to joining CDP, Patty served as the Vice President of Humanitarian Policy and Practice at Interaction, the largest alliance of international NGOs and partners in the U.S. working collectively to serve the world's poor and vulnerable. During that time, she led the organization's efforts to assist the humanitarian community, including Interaction members, UN agencies, and the Red Cross Red Crescent movement. Our other guest is Fred Kaner. Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at Schwab Charitable. A past guest on the series, Fred brings over 20 years of financial services experience to today's discussion. In addition to his role at Schwab Charitable, he has formerly held senior-level positions with MasterCard Worldwide and Visa. Patty, Fred, thank you both for joining me today as we explore ways to respond efficiently and effectively to C-19 to best support those in greatest need. Let's get started. Patty, as I mentioned in your introduction, you came into your role at CDP in March. At that point, the COVID-19 pandemic had already been ravaging parts of Asia and Europe, and we were beginning to feel its impact here in the U.S., most notably in New York and here in the Bay Area. Where are you in the center currently seeing the areas of most acute need, both here in the U.S. and globally? Michael, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, As you know, CDP is looking both domestically and globally, and there really isn't any one place where we're seeing the same needs. So it's it's very hard to say where we're positioning ourselves in terms of any one thing because it changes daily. Anyone tracking the Johns Hopkins site, anyone looking at the different spaces that are happening, places that we feel were flattened are seeing resurgences, places that we expect it to stay low are actually seeing increases. That is the nature of a pandemic. It is incredibly difficult to stay on track of it, especially something which has no idea of borders. I mean, this is going to take us some time and we need to be prepared for that in the long run. CDP's approach that we've taken on, the pandemic is beyond the medical. It will have many, many waves of how we look at it. And we're trying to keep that in mind as we progress and as we proceed. And so while we are attentive to the immediate medical needs for the response, you know, of course, we've given support to PPE, to respirators, to medical staff. We're also very attentive to the needs of the most vulnerable, those who are because of their community, because of their roles, because of their job, just because of their situation in advance of the pandemic, 
are more vulnerable to the impacts of both the medical and the follow-on waves. So for example, income or socioeconomic or, or mental, identifying basic needs, feeding programs in schools, all of these things are being impacted by this pandemic. And so we're looking both at some of that immediate need and how we can support and advise, but we're also looking at the longer term needs and how do we address some of the inequities that have created the vulnerabilities that we're now seeing in certain communities more than others. So, Fred, Patty made a point about the follow-on waves um, and, and the range of needs here. You know, we've seen health crises before, certainly. We've seen economic crises before, but we've never seen a situation quite like this. How are you seeing donors responding to some of the unprecedented, wide-ranging acute needs that Patty mentioned? It's a great question, and thank you, uh, Michael. As much as there is sort of overwhelming and oppressive negativity uh, with what's happening around the pandemic, we have seen extraordinary generosity come from our donors in many, many ways uh, to find the most effective and impactful way to extend the impact of their charitable giving to really help meet the need, both for people that experienced the impact initially with the initial outbreak and those that are being impacted both long-term and in the second waves that unfortunately are now occurring. Our donors have been really, as I say, uh, exceptional in their generosity. Just for perspective, up till mid-June, so from mid-February to mid-June, we've seen a roughly 50% increase in overall giving relative to the same period in the previous year. Um, That means that over $1.3 billion during that period have been granted to charity, and it includes uh, about $140 million earmarked specifically for COVID. It's an extraordinary story, and it's extraordinary generosity in that they give not only um, to organizations which they typically and consistently support with their philanthropy, but they are identifying with the help and resources of organizations like CDP, nonprofits that are really boots on the ground, providing a variety of different kinds of relief and recovery support for people that are impacted directly. Uh, These donors are prolific in their giving to a variety of different causes and needs. It can be local through community foundations or food banks. It can be national with the help and support of the guidance from organizations like the Center for Disaster Philanthropy that are um, providing us with names of organizations that are fully vetted and providing the most efficient relief and recovery services they can. And it can be globally around um, research efforts. For example, organizations that are putting resources into identification of viral therapies and research associated with the acceleration of vaccines. So to answer your question, Michael, it's really been an inspiring um, story to tell, the generosity and the engagement of these philanthropists. That significant increase in giving is remarkable. And and. You mentioned identifying nonprofits. Patty, let me ask you a question. Once you've identified specific needs, how does the center determine the most effective and efficient nonprofits to help address those needs? I just want to highlight that I can't agree more with Fred's thoughts on the generosity that we're seeing right now. It is not just in terms of finances, but just in everyday heroes who are going out there and helping communities in every way possible. And it's just really important we keep that in mind as as this crisis goes on. In terms of how we identify the organizations to help, I mean, Michael, this is what we do, right? We explore and advise on how donors 
can make a greater impact during disasters. And we have an internal expertise that's pre-existing this crisis that brings a breadth of experience, both in our own capacity to respond and in having staff who've actually been there and done that, but as well as funding the responses. That experience allows us to have a great understanding of what the needs may be on the ground. Also having pre-existing relationships with organizations who are working in response and recovery. We have quite a number of partners that we've already vetted, that we continue to vet. We are constantly looking at that. And by vetting, we look at their program experience. We look at their financial history. It's a deeper dive than you would be doing if you were looking at Charity Navigator or GuideStar. We go much deeper than you may as an individual, but we make sure that we have a very reliable accountability and transparency matrix of whether this organization is one that we know we can be entrusted to not only get the work done, but to spend the money appropriately. We also continually track the crisis. We are looking to make sure we understand it well. We are looking to ensure we track the impacts and identifying the gaps, working with understanding uh, what is going on within the crisis so that we can best target the partners. And then we work with organizations in those areas where we've identified the greatest needs. We're open to new ideas. We're open to new approaches, and we adapt as needed. Patty, to that point, um, you know, understanding of needs and any gaps Um, You mentioned the wave after wave that we're going to see of the impact of COVID-19. As needs change over time, the supporting nonprofits that might be able to help meet those needs may change with them. How do you pivot to keep pace with that? Well, there's two key ways we've been doing that so far. First, the geographical adjustments. We started with organizations that had a large multi-country presence or a national presence, and they were able to work through affiliates. We've now started to transition to a more local approach. Now that things have gotten to be a bit more settled and organizations have recognized how are they working within this pandemic, how are they able to get out and about in communities, more guidance from different cities, from governments on what can be done. You have more organizations stepping in and we're working with them, identifying where they are and how we can work with them. The second thing we've pivoted over time is the programming. What programs can we work on? So initially, very much looking at large-scale projects such as feeding programs or support for PPE. Now we can get much more granular with support to local community organizations, businesses in, in, in certain communities that have been hit harder by the economics, just trying to really explore with them where can we make the most impact. Overall, though, and for COVID-19 especially, we're being flexible with our grantees. We're getting very comfortable with them not knowing how their program may run from start to finish. No one knows how and when this pandemic will end, nor do we have a full picture of the socioeconomic impacts across the communities. And so we're trying to be very flexible in that. Additionally, we are very attentive to the fact that people of color and essential workers are being disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. And so we're proactively searching for partners who work with these communities, who support the people and communities who are most at risk. And so really trying to first identify what those needs may be, work with those communities, and as much as possible, the response is led by those very communities. So that leads me to another question. So supporting the communities, supporting the programming, obviously funds are needed to support all of this work. And Fred, obviously from that 50% increase you talked about earlier, um, we know that lately Schwab Charitable and other donor-advised funds have been encouraging donors to do even more than they might usually in response to the crisis to support the programming and the organizations who are serving people at this time. What kind of guidance are you offering donors who want to give with maximum impact uh, to support the battle against COVID-19 and its effects? We have a variety of different thoughts on how to provide guidance to our donors that would really help them to achieve maximum impact 
with the philanthropy that they choose to extend uh, during this pandemic. First of all, we would encourage donors to continue to support the nonprofits that they already support. You know, it's interesting and obvious to everyone that there are organizations providing relief and recovery efforts now that are critically important. What's not necessarily as obvious or intuitive, but equally important is there are these other nonprofit organizations that may not necessarily be specifically focused on a particular kind of relief or recovery effort around the pandemic, but need to operate nonetheless. And a lot of the philanthropic support is understandably being directed to those organizations that are providing that boots on the ground support. And these other organizations are struggling to maintain their operations. So it's important for people to remember that there is a need to support those organizations that they support on an ongoing basis, just as much now as the organizations that are focused on relief and recovery. Another thought uh, in terms of guidance would be the consideration to giving without restrictions. It's critically important that these organizations that are supporting the needs on the front lines everywhere need the resources from these philanthropists right now. They need to deliver these critical services right now. And the less restrictive those gifts are, the more efficiently they can receive those funds and use them where the need is greatest. Third, we provide information and guidance to our donors about how they can give with the maximum impact on a localized basis, be it in uh, the community that they're domiciled or a community where they were previously living or have a personal tie. It's really important to understand that localized support is just as important as that that reaches nationally and ultimately globally. And then, of course, giving internationally. There are countries that are facing what we were facing just a few months ago, and many of those countries are ill-equipped or don't necessarily have the commensurate level of resources to combat the significant challenges that they face. So it's worth considering how to give with maximum efficiency on an international or global basis to those countries that are now just ramping up to face the challenges of the first wave of the pandemic. Lastly, from a guidance perspective, I think it's very important that we reinforce among all donors that when they give, they should do so in a way that's sustainable. So not only supporting on an episodic basis when the crisis hits and feels most acute, but doing so in a way that provides a sustained level of support to the organizations so that they can continue to deliver those critically important services throughout the year or throughout an extended period of time. And Patty, similar question for you. Uh, how can donors support the efforts of the CDP? You can support our COVID-19 response fund, which to date has dispersed over $10 million to 41 organizations in less than three months. And we expect an additional $4.5 million to go out in the coming weeks. To give you a snapshot of some of the areas where we are funding through our COVID-19 response fund, we've assisted quarantine individuals and overwhelmed healthcare systems We've provided assistance to organizations supporting child care providers across the United States, assistance to grassroots advocacy work that is looking at the acute needs of people of color, direct relief funds to food chain workers, programming that is supporting immigrants, both in the U.S., but also refugees overseas. We've given subgrants to local partners and women-led organizations in 13 countries across the globe who are looking at how to support the pandemic response and mitigating the economic impacts of COVID-19 through financial coaching, mini grants to small businesses, economic resilience programming, just a very wide breadth of programming. I highlight them because it's really critical, as Fred said, that you look at how do you support and how do you be unrestricted? Because the needs may be different from what you 
anticipate they may be. And we really need to be open to those who are feeding that information to us to be able to tell us where the needs are and how they're going to address it. In terms of other ways that CDP is working right now, we're also remembering that there are other crises beyond this pandemic and the residual effects of this pandemic. There are currently programming uh, that we're assisting right now related to the uh, Tennessee tornado, the wildfires in California, hurricane recovery in Bahamas, Venezuela and Yemen and the complex emergencies there. We are still looking at how do we help those locations as well. That's just a model example of some of them. We're tracking what other crises are coming. Hurricane season is just started. June 1 was the launch of the Atlantic hurricane season. We are expecting it to be a very bad season and not just us, but NOAA is expecting it to be a very bad season. They expect 19 named storms. Um, we've also heard that there are unfortunately fires expected in California again this year. We know that there's a fire already going in Arizona. So all of these crises are just going to make a lot of people, both donors, but also those in need, have to make some really hard choices about where they're putting their funds, how they're helping. And so what we say is if you want to stay informed, look at our website, disasterphilanthropy.org. We keep a update on there about what we're tracking, what we're watching, and how we're helping. And it'll give you a good idea, hopefully, of how you can get involved, where you might want to help give, and be part of the solution overall that we need right now, both for the pandemic, but the other crises that are coming. And Patty, that range of areas that CDP is funding and the reminder of the fact that there will be other disasters that we'll be dealing with while sobering is important for us to keep in mind uh, as we think about uh, being more effective in philanthropic giving. You mentioned some of the resources that you're providing. Fred, what resources would you suggest donors explore as they look to further their support of uh, communities and organizations in most need? Michael, we would encourage our donors to review our website where we have a host of different resources, tools, and information designed specifically to help inform exactly how and where they choose to deploy their philanthropic support. We have a tool that provides the capability of identifying community foundations where they would like to deploy their support locally within the communities that they live in or communities that they have an association and an interest in. Uh, we also provide a list of charities that are pre-vetted and approved by the Center for Disaster Philanthropy, which are extraordinary organizations providing very efficient and critically important support boots on the ground right now to people that are really desperately in need of that, that support. And then we provide a variety of different content. We provide thought leadership, guidance on how to really maximize your support of disasters philanthropically, how to deploy it in a way where it's going to have the biggest impact, the least restrictive, the most efficient manner of doing so. So we have a variety of different assets and tools, all of which are available on our website for their convenience. So, Patty, you and I were talking briefly before the podcast started, uh, and you shared what I thought was a very moving and profound perspective on this current crisis. Um, would you mind sharing that with the audience? Something we've been talking about quite a lot of late related to COVID-19 and how people are thinking about it and how their giving has changed is that this is the first time ever in many, I don't know who may have any memory of the Spanish flu, but this is the first time everyone is part of this crisis. Often when we're looking at how to give or our empathy is for something that's occurring, 
It's because we're distant from it. We're looking at it from afar. We're seeing it on our TV or we're reading about it. And we can become very connected to it, but for a short term and in an impact story type way. With COVID-19, this is us. This is everyone. And we are impacted in different ways. Many of us uh, are blessed in not being as impacted as others. But we have to keep in mind that this is a game changer for the disaster philanthropy world because it allows us all to suddenly realize we can put ourselves a bit more firmly in the place of what it is for some people who are living these different crises. How do we actually help people move beyond this and recover appropriately? That's the only thing I would say for this crisis that is different from a philanthropic disaster realm is we suddenly have an opportunity to talk about a crisis in a way that we've never been before to really get everybody to say, this is truly all in. We can all understand what this means and we can suddenly all look at the solutions together in a way that we haven't been able to in other crises or other disaster responses. I wanted to add, um, I think your point is incredibly well taken. It really is a game changer. And indeed, it's a game changer, not just for disaster philanthropy, but for philanthropy. The broader impact on the sector is really pretty extraordinary. You know, as oppressive as the news is, as negative as the um, experiences are that we're seeing on a daily basis, if there's any kind of silver lining, it's seeing and witnessing the extraordinary generosity with which people have given to support people that are most severely impacted by the pandemic. We should launch a silver lining campaign. We have enough negativity right now Amen. in our world. Let's celebrate some of the good stuff happening. Let's celebrate those everyday heroes. Let's celebrate those silver linings because we all can use it. We can all use a bit of positive energy. Patty, Fred, I'd like to thank you both for your time today. I know that this is just the start of discussions that we're planning for uh, this season of the podcast around the ways that donors can and are rising to the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I, I think it, it bears repeating that we have mentioned it a few times. We're likely to be dealing with this for some time. I think we all agree with that. And hopefully, though, discussions like today's will help further the path forward for donors and the communities they support. Thank you, Michael, very much. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcast or your favorite listening app, as it helps others discover the show. We encourage you to listen to other episodes in the series, as well as other podcasts from SSIR. This podcast series is made possible with the support of Schwab Charitable, who played an important role in the selection of topics and speakers. For important disclosures and a transcript of this episode, visit schwabcharitable.org slash impactpodcast.